Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to bluenile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's bluenile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. bluenile.com. Hello guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, Dr. Santosh here, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. We need to get you a shorter title. No, <laughs> I could just say Peds ID. That reduces it down to three uh, three syllables. Is that sexy enough, though? I. I <laughs> I, I I mean I know you have the after dark voice, but is it sexy enough? It is. It's. I, I suppose it's not. I suppose Santosh impedes. I. Do. <laughs> uh, I I could try and sexy it up. The uh, no 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 no. We'll just leave this in and let everybody know what sort of things we talk about. Well, I often. I I always thought, for instance, physician is a lot more sexy than doctor. You know, physician is. I mean, it's it's bad to think of it as a sensual term, but the the word is very soft. Mm. Mm. No, I like doctoring. Things. <laughs> I know you do. Your brother likes lawyering things. Huh. <laughs> All right, so we have reached once again that time of the week where we give you a journal club. Yay! Oh, yeah. So. A lot of stories mostly that deal with using things for other than their intended purposes and the results, which, surprise, surprise, not always good. No, no. In fact, you might even describe them as bad. (laughs) So you know when you go to the restroom, maybe to sit on your epiphany toilet, sure, and you think how much a bowel movement feels like getting high... It can be quite pleasurable. Some people find a lot of pleasure in evacuating their bowels. Sure. Well, apparently, some people are so opposed to this rash of folks going out and getting high on poop or life (laughs) that they have decided that they should get high from anti-diarrheal medication, which 
not something you should do. No. And also not something I was aware people were doing <laughs> until I found this article. Yes, yes. This anal retentive population, oh, <laughs> are using a medication called lopiramide uh, in this country marketed as Imodium to get high. And we've discussed Imodium or lopiramide before, especially in our very first episode, Have Runs Will Travel, um, when we were discussing getting traveler's diarrhea. So this medication is quite useful as an over-the-counter when you have diarrhea and you still need to live life. Santosh, you may be wondering the same thing I am, which is how exactly does one get high off anti-diarrheal medication? <laughs> well, Let's say I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, uh, Josh, uh, your friend should know that the medication lopiramide is a very, very, very mild opioid, not at all dangerous when used as directed or as the box says, but just like opioids, it binds to receptors in our gut, in our intestine, and slows down motility. So you may get constipated. However, with an overdose of this, the medication will also go to other opioid receptors, such as in your brain, and get you high, as if you were on, oh, let's say a mild heroin. I like that there's a mild heroin out there. You know, <laughs> I am not in the mood for anything too crazy today. <laughs> I'll take the mild heroin. Thank you. Just, you know, like you're in a menu at a restaurant. You have something mild, so something light. Not, you know, well, not, not heroin. Yeah, the chef has a lovely mild heroin today. <laughs> I suggest pairing it with the Imodium AD. This was absolutely news to me, and I just suppose it goes to show the irresistible human drive to get messed up on whatever is handy. But <laughs> this was used mostly for people who were withdrawing from opioids and were taking high doses, you know, 10 times or more higher than the recommendation. And this was generating a high. And you have to remember, any kind of opioid is going to act to slow your whole body. It will slow your respiration rate. It will slow your bowels. It will slow your heart. And it will slow your thinking. Now, one of those is something that a lot of people find pleasurable. The other three, not so much. And the danger <laughs> here is that this is an over-the-counter drug, and people who are either taking it to get high or to help with the withdrawals from their other narcotics are putting themselves at quite a lot of risk with two, two cases so far reported deaths from heart-related complications mm -hmm. of this. But we don't actually know how widespread it is, so all we can do is tell you that Imodium does in fact qualify as an opiate, although not at levels that should cause any of the common pain-relieving effects. Yeah, so you won't be able to take it the way that you take the Demerol that you've been uh, prescribed by your physician or your Vicodin or any of those things. You really have to take a boatload of these pills, and you will certainly get constipated before you get euphoric. Um this is, uh, we can give people, I think, an estimate of what's going on. So 
looking at uh, abuse postings on web-based forums, we've seen lopiramide abuse go up about tenfold um, from 2010 to 2011. And then from 2011 through 2014, the national poison data that collects and keeps the data of how people are poisoned and what they suffer from, they reported a 71% spike from 2011 to 2014. So that is a really, really sharp rise. Um, please disseminate this information that this is a bad, bad thing to do. And, you know, especially from our side of things, you know, it's sad to say, Josh, but a lot of the laws which are made for drugs are made to prevent stupid things from happening like this. <laughs> So, Lup I'm going to break this down for you in the easiest way I can. Go ahead. Loperamide is heading the same direction as Sudafed. Yes. A few people <laughs> abusing it to make narcotics are going to end up with, you are going to be caught somewhere in your country with your literal pants around your ankles. <laughs> and we've been there. Right. Believe oh, us. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And not you a will not be able miles. <laughs> and you cannot buy anything to relieve this traveler's joy because you'll need a prescription because a few bad apples ruins the whole thing. So, again, for those of you who are not using this as a recreational drug, good job. <laughs> for those of you who are but still enjoy listening to podcasts, please stop. <laughs> I want to see the Venn diagram. <laughs> of alopyramide abusers and people who listen to our podcast. <laughs> I choose to believe that there is an overlap. I would love to... Oh, People, if you're abusing alopyramide and listening to our podcast, stop the former, continue the latter. <laughs> yes. Uh. Do that. So that's that's how we're opening the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, why don't we move on to something that also sounds rather suspicious, <laughs> but is slightly less bad. And this one comes from Science Magazine. Mm -hmm. It's a very trustworthy name. <laughs> you know, it's written by people who are serious because they talk about science. <laughs> and the headline little clickbaity but absolutely explain is. is fighting sepsis with cancer drugs um santosh i'm gonna hand this one over to you as peds id thank you so so much uh, so this was published in the journal science which is i would say the leading journal for our scientific progress here in the United States. And this uh, this article was by Alex Rialdi et al. Uh, with, uh, with this data coming out of New York um, with a lot of collaboration all over the country, including out here in San Diego. Um, so here is the idea that we're dealing with, okay? When you get sick, say with a bacterial infection, the bacteria will invade your body and they themselves will make you ill just from the invasion, absolutely. However, the second part of the equation that makes you feel sick and down and, and starts actually destroying your organs is your own immune system. 
a lot of what your immune system is doing is reacting to this foreign invader and trying to kill it with a barrage of chemicals and cells. However, another side effect of this is collateral damage. Those chemicals, a lot of them called, known as cytokines, uh, we're talking about macrophages and neutrophils and T-cells which go in and destroy these bacteria. A lot of the things that are secreted by these cells cause widespread damage. They don't just attack the bacteria, they attack everything in sight. So if this happens and there's an overwhelming you know, inflammatory response, say, in your lungs, yes, it'll fight off the bacteria to some extent, but your lungs will fill up with fluid and you can't breathe. If it happens in your liver, you get liver damage. So the idea here is to fight the bacterial infection, but to curb this over-enthusiastic immune response by using an immune suppressant. So there is a, uh, a, a enzyme called topoisomerase 1, all right, which uh, works and, and kind of uh, gets upregulated when we're encountered with these bacteria. Well, we do have chemotherapy against this particular enzyme. And this is a cancer drug. It is currently FDA approved for cancer. However, when it was given to this, and this was all in a mouse model, when it was given to mice concurrently with a infection of Staphylococcus aureus, which is staph, or some people will think of MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph, the, the mice that were treated with the cancer drug along with antibiotics and everything else, actually survived much more. 90% actually of them uh, lived, whereas all of the mice that were untreated with the chemotherapeutic, with the, with the anti-topoisomerase drug, um, all of those mice died that didn't receive the treatment. So... Essentially, yes, the bacteria are bad guys, but sometimes our own immune system acts against us and we need to kind of cool it down while we kill the bacteria with our antibiotics to give ourselves a chance to live long enough to completely eliminate the infection. I don't know that I would rush to giving a whole bunch of inf infectious and septic patients chemo no. right off the bat. No, <laughs> absolutely not. So this is a very early proof of concept. And actually, Josh, we've been trying to do this for quite some time. Um, as you've seen in your uh, ICUs, you know, you, you give your antibiotic, your, your patient's really sick, maybe they're on a ventilator on dialysis, and, you know, you've done everything that you can to kill this bacteria, and you draw the blood culture, right? And there's no bacteria. It's clear. It's gone. But the patient's immune system has gone so haywire that they've suffered permanent organ damage. So this is a dream. It's, it's in the near future that we can bring therapies to, hey, immune system, chill out a little bit. Don't worry. I've got, I've got your back with these antibiotics. No reason to go all crazy. And or you can watch the movie Repo Men uh, if you want to see about artificial organs. That was a great film, the plot of which I believe involves around people buy black market organs, and if they cannot afford them, the repo men show up. 
and decide, hey, uh, we're going to break your knee and take your liver. <laughs> well, it was it's actually creepier than that because the sale of the organs was legitimate. But it was kind of analogous to, oh, you know, I'm going to sell you a home which you can no longer pay for and then you're going to be homeless. But, uh, you know, knowing that you won't be able to pay for the organ, I'm going to give you an organ and then you'll default on your payments and then we'll come and take your organ away. So it was it was really creepy. <laughs> and speaking of creepy, mm. how do you feel about running electric currents through your brain to change your personality? <laughs> well, uh, electric or I sh- we should say more accurately magnetic, right? Um, I'm uh, uh, my visceral reaction is no likey. However, the data that we have for uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation to treat diseases like depression are fairly good. So transcranial magnetic stimulation is very similar, although different from electroshock therapy, which is what most of you are probably thinking. (laughs) And by applying magnetic stimulation to different parts of the brain repeatedly day after day after day you can modify brain activity in those areas and that can translate into a benefit electroshock is it's a one and done from my understanding it it can be or it can be used repeatedly and um we should say from our standpoint that both of these treatments are well studied and we shouldn't demonize them. Um, I know, Josh, you had mentioned uh, before, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Sometimes people see that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the poor psychiatrist gets such a horrible rap for movies like that. Um, but the truth is, um, you know, this is done under sedation and there's no like crazy shaking or anything going on. Nobody needs something to bite down on. It's a pretty well-studied treatment for depression. So... The reason I brought this article, or I found this article interesting, is that this is a use of transcranial magnetic stimulation for something other than depression, and it's actually using it to try and treat autism. Now, autism is a very big buzzword in our society these days, and this particular study is, this is a case study, Um, But it is being used as a general tool where a particular gentleman who had at least moderate to high-functioning autism underwent transcranial magnetic stimulation. And the end result is that he began to develop the empathy and ability to emotionally connect to others that that is a sign, the lack of which is a sign of autism in so many people. Right. And this was very exciting for the researchers because it is not the, the Facebook headline cure for autism, but it certainly allows them to relate in some ways. And the article made some wonderful points, and I will post it in the show notes. And some of those were saying, you know, you had this engineer who all of a sudden could understand his, his marriage and, you know, his family and his wife's love for him and, in some ways, he said he was very overwhelmed. You know, he he said some of it was, it's like he lost a protective shield. Memories that hurt because he was the butt of a joke. 
he realized he used to just kind of go through and people said mean things, but he never knew, so it didn't hurt. And now he can attach emotional feelings to what was going on. And he's like, oh my gosh, all these years I was being made fun of, and now I just feel terrible about myself. Um, so it has brought, <laughs> it's been a mixed, a mixed bag of blessings. But it is a very interesting study nonetheless, in that it does possibly show a way to improve certain aspects right. of, of the autistic condition. Uh, I think towards the end, the article went a little, a little hippie in that he's like, <laughs> well, yes, this did help to restore empathy, but it took away my special autism gifts. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know that I am necessarily <laughs> now, on board with that message. Sure. And some of you out there might be hearing this and, you know, special autism. But uh, it is fair to say that, you know, although there a lot of people with autism will say they have difficulty with social interaction, especially interpreting other people's emotions, um, sympathy, empathy, that kind of a thing. Thing. Um, there is um, a little bit of comfort in, <clears throat> you know, not uh, being disturbed or being sensitive or being hurt by, you know, words and uh, and mean jokes and that kind of a thing. So I cannot sticks and stones, Santa. There sticks and stones. So I can't even begin to imagine what that switch in mindset must feel like but i i, I don't know I, I perhaps there's an inkling in my mind um yeah this this study was well done and it shows us a few things one of which is, is that there is a biochemical uh underlying or underpinning approach to many autism spectrum disorders. And as we've said before many times on this podcast, if you say someone has autism, it's kind of like saying they have a cough. That's just the symptom. That's what you see on the outside. That does not at all give you any clue to what is causing it. Whether, you know, one person can have a genetic reason, one person can have a trauma reason, one person can have... Uh, you know, an unknown reason or what we call uh, cryptogenic. So this... It also doesn't tell you how strong the cough is. It could be, uh, right. you know, a tiny little like, eh, I have something in my throat, yeah. or it could be a smoker's cough. Exactly. Yeah, horrible COPD type thing. So this was uh, a one-off, but Dr... Oh, you're going to love this, Josh. Dr. Casanova, a uh, professor of biomedical sciences who's at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine... Um, has been looking at this for quite some time, and she feels like that there there is he feels like there is some uh, headway, uh, pun intended, to be made using this as a therapy along with all the therapies that we know work, which is behavioral therapy and these type of approaches in autism. Would you say that Dr. Casanova is teaching people to love? Yes, he is. Thank you, Dr. Manuel Casanova. 
<laughs> oh, Manuel Casanova. Oh, it's definitely Manuel. Absolutely. He is definitely a physician. Yes. Very that, sexy. That is not a doctor. That is a physician. <laughs> so good luck good luck to Dr. Casanova. And we will definitely keep you up to date on therapy such as this for uh, autism spectrum disorder. Yes, it's definitely worth looking into. And again, one important thing to keep in mind is that the particular person whose case study we found was already very high-functioning Asperger's, and this may not be something that will fix or improve or even make a difference on the vast majority of those with autism. I think it really depends on the level uh, of their functioning before this can even be considered. Sure. But, um, I don't know, I kind of feel like some real science, Santosh. <laughs> Let's go for Got it. Got anything? Let's, uh, <laughs> hey, now, this is very real science. I think it, the, the studies are well done and well controlled. Uh, yeah, but let's, let's go down deep into the bowels of basic sciences, which I absolutely love. So, uh, we had, uh, talked to you guys a little bit um, I, I can't remember which journal club member it was, but we had talked to you guys about three parent babies. Um, the embryos which are being created right now and which have a go-ahead for investigation wherein there is a high potential or identified mitochondrial disorder, so a problem with a gene in the mitochondrial chromosomes which is separate from our uh, the rest of the, the uh, cell's DNA material. So the mitochondria has its own DNA and replicates by itself. If there's a defect in that and the mitochondria are bad, then the cell's powerhouse is now hurt. And this can cause a huge spectrum of disorders, many of which are ravaging and fatal um, you may have heard of things audience like Milas or MRF um, which uh, have a combination of blindness and muscle wasting and seizures all of which is caused when the mitochondria can't provide energy to the cells in places like the brain, the eyes and our skeletal muscles so the uh, the scientists behind this particular procedure were looking at extracting the defective mitochondria and the mitochondrial DNA from an egg, putting the sperm in, and then giving a donor mitochondria, healthy mitochondria from a third parent to this now new embryo and allowing it to divide and become a baby, a healthy baby. So we were very excited because the early trials on these had been working well. However, now we're finding that in a, uh, a tissue culture type environment, so not with real embryos, but with simulated embryos using stem cells, that there is a worry that even if there's a little bit of defective mitochondria left behind, one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you extract that original defective mitochondria, that that mitochondrial DNA can still replicate and take over the whole cell, and you would go through all that procedure basically for nothing. You'd end up with the same defective mitochondria in that baby. So this was uh, this was very recently published, and the the jury is still out because this is still on you know like a petri dish. So we will have to follow the story. Um, and, and you guys can read it in Cell Stem Cell, which is out of Cell Press, another very decorated journal here um, with uh, Yamada et al. And uh, the, the gist is that, yes, we can still move forward with three parent embryos, but we have to be very, very cautious that even if a tiny little bit of defective mitochondria is left behind when you extract it, it can ruin the entire batch and and still leave you with a a baby with defective mitochondria. Thank you for kind of breaking that down for us because once things start getting into the basic sciences, I'll admit I tune out a little. (laughs) I put myself through years and years of that and now I like just the advanced sciences. (laughs) You, You are quite advanced. I like to think so. <laughs> but while you were giving us that fascinating information, I was watching clips from next week's preview of Game of Thrones. Nice. And, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones has its own pretty amazing uh, fantasy science and medicine behind it. It does. And spoiler alert, although to be fair, two weeks after the episode, so I don't know how up-to-date everyone is with listening to us and Game of Thrones. That's a whole other Venn diagram. <laughs> but prepare to cover your ears now. I want because I, I want to see an overlap of lopiramide abusers who watch Game of Thrones and listen to our podcast. <laughs> it's just one guy somewhere in the middle of Ohio. <laughs> and he tries to talk about Game of Thrones while high. To his friends at the local pub in Cleveland. Sure. <laughs> and they're like, God damn it, Earl. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> sorry, Earl. We didn't mean to break patient No, no. Sorry. That's, yeah, that's our fault. Um, um, to recap, on- we are doctors, but we are not your <laughs> doctors. <laughs> on the most recent episode, or uh, not even the most recent, the very first episode of the season of Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert. Fan favorite. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow came back to life, revived from the dead. <laughs> Was he a revenant? Uh, here, the term they use for the newly revived dead are white walkers. Gotcha. Um, but Jon Snow did not come back as a white walker. He revived after being very obviously dead. Mm-hmm. 
you know, stabbed through the heart six times, Whoa. once by a small child dead, right. so you we were not messing around. <laughs> and he was brought back to life. So you may be wondering, what does this have to do at all with a journal club? <laughs> Oh man, we are we're we're moving a little far afield from hard science here, but yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and talk about bringing back the dead. Do you want the actual scientific <laughs> paper or would you rather hear the highlights from IFLS, who at this point has just totally <laughs> given up on any kind of objective. Uh, yeah, Miss Miss Andrews, who's the editor of of uh, I Bleeping Love Science, is she's pretty much gone to. <laughs> I'm not blaming her. The thing no. has grown beyond her it, ability it, it to regulate. Yes, this is this is a little bit like Chris Hardwick and Nerdist. This is just a beat now and it's it's out of control and it, it should just have a big neon sign that says click me um yeah it's uh we we can start i think with the biotech firm which uh you know they might as well call themselves umbrella corp <laughs> but they they actually called themselves Reanima Advanced Biosciences. Okay, so you want to go with this one. So let's say Singularity Hub, um, published by Singularity University. Oh, there you go. Has has asked, can dead brains be brought back to life? First human study to find out. Um, which is a little bit, I don't know, better or worse than IFLS, which says biotech company granted ethical permission sure. to use stem cells to reactivate the brains of the dead <laughs> and and this is this is posted this is public knowledge on clinicaltrials.gov um they've received approval from an institutional review board or an IRB in uh April, uh, yeah, it's it's in April of 2016. Exactly, <laughs> I don't think Ed it is. It is a U.S.-based biotech company, right. Who got approval to reanimate dead Indians? <laughs> oh, I'm right. sorry. Was that not accurately scientific? No, there you go. Shall we? Shall we go into? <laughs> The the actual wait with an arsenal of cutting edge if mysterious treatment <laughs> techniques. This is so shady. This is so horribly shady. And uh, you know, I I I love my homeland. I really do. But um, there there is a definite visceral reaction when it comes to looking at a study like this, examining it on clinicaltrials.gov. And saying to yourself, dude, you're, you're way over the shoulda line. <laughs> yes, you're, you're, you're deep in the science coulda line and way ignoring shoulda. If your first reaction is you don't believe it, you're not alone. I mean, what is this? Frankenstein? The Walking Dead? Some sort of viral campaign for an upcoming horror flick? <laughs> Well, a horde of zombies may not be in our future, but BioQuark's goals are to cheat death. Here is what the stunningly ambitious Reanima project plans to do. Oh, God damn it, Josh. 
Okay. No, no, please, Santos, go on. <laughs> All right, guys. All uh, joking aside, let's let's take it down. Let's take it down just a little bit. Let's look. First off, they're not talking about digging up corpses no. and Nobody. running Frankenstein experiments on them <laughs> no. and having a whole bunch of zombies walk around. No, Nobody is going to be exhuming bodies. Uh, we are. We're going to start very, very simply here. When a person has died and the heart and lungs are still working, so uh, brain death has occurred. And I think by and large, the, the primary reason for this is trauma. Is that right, Josh? So you get hit in the head, our, our motorcycle victims and that type of thing. Uh, trauma is the biggest contributor. Sometimes there's just strokes, heart attacks. There's a lot of reasons why somebody may end up being declared brain dead, although trauma is far and away the the leader. Right. And when a person is brain dead, you know, we are physicians and we're scientists, we're not existentialists here. The seat of consciousness is in the brain. And if our clinical investigation, and this isn't anything fancy schmancy, this is just testing uh reflexes which the brain has if it's still alive pain uh sensitivity of the cornea when you brush it this type of thing if these are not present the person is dead okay we're we don't we use the term brain dead to be a little more kind to the family that's you know there but we should not view this person as alive anymore Right, and this is very different than a coma or a vegetative state where, you know, the lights are on but nobody's home. The person can still maybe breathe on their own, they're still having bowel movements, but they're not interacting with the world. In brain death, that's it. There is Your brain is not sending signals at all to the rest of your body to do the things necessary for living. Sure. And it, it's scary to see sometimes because, you know, you disconnect a ventilator and sometimes they'll take breaths on their own. The heart will certainly continue to beat. Um, but, you know, you give a long enough period of time and uh, the reflex to low carbon dioxide, which is there in the brainstem, will not register. And so they won't take breaths as often as they should. And they'll slowly pass away without continuous support. Now, some of the patients who are in these types of situations, there can be a lot of ethical questions about, you know, sometimes families are not ready to accept death. Um, sometimes, for whatever reason, people maybe have donated their bodies to science and they're being kept on different things for their organs and then their organs can't be used. There's any number of reasons why somebody might be brain dead but being kept from decomposing by life support machines. Sure. So this is the type of uh, population that this phase one clinical trial is going after. And I'm telling you right now, as soon as the general public gets a hold of this story, there will be a television show <laughs> made about it. And, and things will go horribly, horribly wrong. Oh, sure. And, you know, we're already there. You know, the political sites have already gotten a hold of it and whatnot. And, you know, uh, this, this, we are venturing into um, territory where, you know, we as scientists are not used to going to because 
up until very recently, you know, brain death was it. That's it. This was the irreversible point. But you don't care about that. No. You want to know how do you jumpstart a dead brain, <laughs> right? One. That's why you come to travel medicine. Sure. Yeah, and and this is not, you know, this is not going to be a tower with the lightning and Igor. <laughs> don't and, be ridiculous, Santosh. That's like trying to fix a broken headset by reconfiguring existing wires. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 my friend. Uh-huh. You need working replacement parts. All right. Perhaps. Yes. Perhaps. Hmm. Newly grown brain cells. Oh, yeah. To replace those lost to injury. So that's component one. Which is stem cells. Yep. And what's more, the stem cells will need an environment that will contribute to helping them grow and integrate into existing brain circuits. You have to tell the stem cells, become axons, become neurons, become the functional parts of the brain, and then connect to the parts that are there. Right. And so this is a peptide extract, which is designated BQ-A. Yeah, but I like this particular article's term for it that says no no come on let me have some (laughs) okay go the team's secret sauce is a combination (laughs) of bioactive molecules and mesenchymal stem cells used in (laughs) cell replacement therapies for nearly 10 years Uh. although not yet fully tested in humans (laughs) preliminary studies in rodents showed that these MSCs integrate seamlessly into the brain and help to enhance motor and cognitive recovery. Umbrella Corporation. Oh, boy. And we, we should note that uh, Umber- Umbrella Corporation in the amazing Resident Evil series decided to use a virus for their kickstarting. Um, there are no viruses of any kind used in this particular batch. <sighs> so... <laughs> All right. Long story short. Oh no no, Josh, you forgot the best part. Oh, what what part am I missing? Oh, you lasers and electricity, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there, you do use transcranial laser I therapy. Got, I got so caught up <laughs> in secret sauce of bioactive molecules that I almost missed transcranial laser stimulation, there, yeah. which is different than transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure you get this right when you're reading your clickbait articles. Mm-hmm. Transcranial magnetic is what people are claiming will cure autism. Transcranial laser will reanimate the dead. There you go. <laughs> so you need transcranial lasers and you need uh, a device which has been used for a long time, uh, a stimulator for the median nerve. So you, uh, you, you're going to uh, stimulate uh, a nerve in the arm to kind of feed back to the recovering brain to kind of wake it up and say, hey, hello, there's still stuff going on. So here's what they're looking for, guys. Okay, They're not looking for, in this phase one clinical trial, people to do the whole waking out of a coma, you know, uh, you know, and then pointing to the tube down their throat and trying to... No. All they're doing is they're putting an electroencephalogram or a brainwave reader on the head and they're trying to see, okay, the EEG is reading brain death, meaning zero activity. We do this therapy. 
does the EEG signal reverse? This does not mean that the person will have any real function. All that will mean is that they're going to see electrical activity on the electroencephalogram. That's it. Oh, I, I just I don't even know where to go next. <laughs> well, um, okay, so let's let's look into realistically speaking, and I know I'm having so much fun at this study's expense. It is it is but, true. Yes, but when we look into what they are actually trying to study, at this point they are not trying to get people up and walking around. So the goal of the study is to look at the very basic brainstem function after treatments. They're trying to see can we get any sort of activity to restart when a brain is not giving off any electrical signals? Can we get a puff of neurotransmitter? Can we get a, a tiny spark of brain activity? Nobody is expecting that these people are suddenly going to come back to life with full recovery. And even if they do, which they're not going to, but the company has said, you know, if the treatment works and they do see personalities, you know, emerge, mm -hmm. if function can be restored, right. then we run into a whole bunch of ethical and philosophical questions about personal identity. Imagine you have a stroke and you come back and you are not the same person that you were before the stroke. Sure. So let's expand that idea further outward and imagine that you come back from brain death from who knows how long and memories personality functions might be scrambled so the original person would not benefit from the treatment they'd be replaced with somebody similar at least similar looking but potentially totally different in personality this is almost like the the transporter paradox mm -hmm. on Absolutely. star trek yeah or the or for those of you who don't watch star trek the paradox of archimedes with the boat, which is how much can you change something piece by piece until you have a brand new thing? You've completely replaced every, all the parts. Every plank, every sail, absolutely. But um, it's the it's a boat that you were sailing on the whole time. <laughs> the, right. You know, this is a philosophical question we can definitely get into sometime. You know, science is trying to show and answer this question is there a real you, quote-unquote, Y-O-U, which is a, a thing that's distinct from a bunch of biochemical and neurophysiological impulses in your brain? And I'm sorry to say, people, but it looks like the answer is largely no, that our personality is shaped by our neurochemistry and our neuroanatomy uh, and everything else about it, you know, our gut microbiome, all this other stuff. And, you know, if you are, if you have neurons replaced, then memories, personality, and that quote-unquote you will change. Personally, I would love to have been in the room when this proposal was <laughs> brought before the Institutional Review Board sure. and to be on the ethics committee that is going to be following because whether or not we feel that this study is necessary, warranted, viable, you know, I could throw any kind of insult I want and the point is it is still a fascinating philosophical concept. You know, what... At what point do we say anything is irreversible? And 
if it turns out that brain death is reversible, to what what is that going to mean going forward? Because the person who is brain dead is not the person that is being revived. Right. There still remain two separate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does open up a lot of interesting questions. And it gave a good excuse to just say, hey, maybe Jon Snow is a totally different person. <laughs> and we're going to have to watch this season to find out. Um, yeah. So... That is, that's it. I got, I got nothing. No, that I, I think that's plenty. And <clears throat> there were studies that are kind of led up to this. So um, I believe that this biotech firm, as well as other investigators, had investigated, <clears throat> you know, tissue culture methods for integrating mesenchymal stem cells into brain tissue, kind of like in a dish to make sure that that kind of thing worked and, um, you know, hopefully did animal studies as well. (laughs) So here's, here's the, here's the main thing that I, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the positive side of this. That's really actually wonderful. The brain is such a complex and mysterious organ that if a trial such as this one is even semi-successful, it could lead the way to uh, addressing problems where there isn't such an ethical conundrum, such as using this technique maybe on the spine, rather on the brain, in patients who have quadriplegia or paraplegia to recover neural function, or perhaps to send these same cells in this secret sauce, I'm going to kill those guys, uh, to a place like the heart, where you have a heart attack and injured tissue or a dead liver. So, you know, yes, they're investigating brain death and it sounds very scary and all this kind of thing, but it has pretty good implications for cellular and organ recovery throughout the body. And so, you know, I for one... only a slight side effect of The Walking Dead. Of The Walking Dead, sure. So, I... uh, Why not? I I wish... you would like... If you would like to read some fiction about how this could go horribly wrong, (laughs) there is an excellent series of books that touches on a very similar kind of of bio-modding called Parasite by Mira Grant. Mm, And in this particular story, it's a trilogy, and this is a world where there is a genetically engineered tapeworm developed by the Symbogen Corporation <laughs> that, when implanted, protects people from illness, boosts their immune system, secretes designer drugs, does everything. But it turns out that at the beginning of this novel, a whole bunch of people are falling ill to a sleeping sickness that we quickly learn is only affecting people with this tapeworm implant. And they, some of the people are starting to wake from the sleeping sickness, and other people are starting to very much not wake from it, and hijinks ensue. Oh, yeah. So the, <laughs> that'll definitely uh, put a little bit of, uh, you know, jumpstart some fear into you. But uh, I, I think we should view this through the lens of science and say that, Perhaps they're uh, they're trying to you know, learn something more and, and maybe do some good uh, rather than uh, this will turn into the next Walking Dead. 
Which, you know, secretly I think everybody wants anyway. We just want an excuse to take a baseball bat <laughs> around with us. I, I you know, I, I, I'm a little scared that, you know, you walk around and be like, oh, you're a walking dead, whack! And, you know, so, what? It wasn't a walking dead at all, he was fine. Oh, my bad, and then you kind of whistle and walk away. <laughs> Dad, you killed zombie Flanders! <laughs> He was a zombie. <laughs> well, Simpsons that, did it. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's Journal Club. Um, hopefully, you have enjoyed the the series we've done on Chinese medicine. We are also very rapidly approaching the end of our radio drama. Constantly trying new things and bringing all this great stuff to you. So we'd really appreciate it if you could rate or review us because that's how it keeps us on the charts. That's how people find us um, in the meantime. Yeah, I I actually want to say thanks. um, And because, uh, you know, Josh has informed me and I've looked at the stats, you guys have really been uh, going to bat for us and, and raising our profile. So thank you, everybody who's listening and posting so, so, so much. We do appreciate it. Yeah. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. J Comedy. Santosh is at Toshi for Award. Is at Travel and Medicine. All links to the articles reviewed this week will be in the show notes. We love to hear your feedback, comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. So please tweet us, Facebook message us, email us. Wave us down on the street. Um, we will happily answer any kind of educational question you may like, but just educational as we are not your doctors. Oh, yeah. But until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.